Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Job Hunter podcast. I'm your host, Tim French. And before we get started, I just want to say a massive thank you to each and every one of you listening uh, for taking the time to actually get invested and listen to the show and build this little community. I really do appreciate it. And it means an awful lot to me. And I just want to say a massive thank you to you guys. Um, Yeah, so let's get going. This week, we're getting slightly more technical as we'll be looking into the interesting world of 3D printing, what's involved, how it works, and we'll be discussing some of the finer points with a true expert. I really do hope you've been enjoying the show so far, and if you want to get in touch, I'll let you know how to do that at the end of the show. But for now, sit back, relax, grab a cuppa, and let's get on with the music. Welcome back to the Job Hunter podcast. Uh, today, I'm delighted to welcome Matt Williams. Um, Matt is an applications engineer at Renishaw, which is an engineering company based in Gloucestershire. Um, Matt is a bit of an expert in 3D printing, uh, so we'll be talking to him all about 3D printing, what it is, how it works, uh, and what you shouldn't print on a 3D printer. Um, Matt, why don't you start us off um, by giving a bit more of a background on you, uh, and also if you could tell us what exactly is 3D printing? Um, I'm sure many people know about it from those YouTube videos and TikToks of people making weird stuff out of plastic, but what else can you do with 3D printing? Yeah, so I started at Renishaw on the graduate scheme as an applications engineer, uh, quickly dropped off that. I think it was about after a year into a design development role in uh, our additive manufacturing division, where it was actually group engineering back then. Uh, I started off that de- that department then did uh, metal printing and polymer printing, so saw both sides of the world there. And then earlier this year, we branched off the plastics. Uh, that's now in a separate division, and now we work purely on metals, so titanium, stainless steel, cobalt chrome, uh, ink canals, stuff like that. So you've said that you, you do metals and plastics, but obviously I, I don't imagine you make them in the same way. I, th- I think most plastic printers work by melting the plastic and then laying them down layer by layer, but you can't really do that with a lot of metals, can you? Because you, you can't get them hot enough. Uh, well, it does work in a layer by layer uh, method. However, we use um, four or 500 watt lasers uh, to melt the the metal powder in 30 or 60 micron generally and build it up in 2D layers into a 3D part in your hand. So it's basically like you take sections and sections yeah, yeah, to build it up into a full shape. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's interesting. So um, would you say that's the main thing that your, your printers vary from, say, like a more off-the-shelf version from Amazon or is there anything specific that, that yours yes. do? Yeah, the ones off Amazon and stuff like that generally work by via filament. Uh, so they melt in a sort of little rod of plastic and then building it up in the 2D layers. But you can also get um, sort of inkjet-based polymer printers and also powder-based as well. But they use different types of um, methods of actually sinter- uh, melting the pieces together or fusing them. And... Um what kind of stuff can you make on them? You know, is it literally your whatever you can think of or is there certain limitations to it? 
you do need to have an idea of design for additive manufacturing, especially in the metal side of things. Due to the temperatures that you're melting the metals at, it causes a lot of stress to be induced in the part. So you need to take into account whether the part's going to peel up off the substrate plate or whether there's an overhanging feature and stuff like that, which would need supporting. And if you don't support those areas, then you end up with bits of metal just sort of flying about. So um, what kind of stuff is 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 Renishaw making at the moment? What's the main kind of... Um you know, purpose you've got for these additive manufacturing tools? Uh, we make quite a lot, of, a variety of things. So we've had stuff in F1 cars. We've got stuff going through uh, aircraft certification. We have stuff for the America's Cut Boat, which was a project I've been heavily involved in, which starts sailing next week. Um, so that was for Ineos. Um, not next week, sorry. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, next week. Um, so we've made probably 30 unique parts of that, some ranging, you know, sort of 200 millimetres tall, um, but then others, you know, sort of 60 millimetres, but very thin wall sections down to sort of two mil, stuff like that. So what's the benefit of doing it by 3D printing over making it out of, you know, machining out of a big piece of metal? Well, one, we can have rapid design iteration. So that means they can tweak the design and we can then print it and have parts with them within days generally, depending on how big the part is. Um, it also allows for topology optimization. Therefore, you can run it through software and remove material which doesn't really need to be there and won't affect the mechanical properties. And in some circumstances, by topology optimization, we actually improve the mechanical properties and reduce deflection and stuff like that. So what, what's topology? Sorry if I'm playing dumb. <laughs> uh, so topology optimization is um, you can run it through some software and it basically selects material that it deems uh, sort of not required. So then it creates a shape that is generally quite organic in a way, um, but produces really strong parts. So it's lighter and stronger. Yeah, exactly. Made out of a solid bit. And obviously in a lot of these places, like you said, Formula One, imagine lightness is their key consideration, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, completely. We do sometimes have to machine our parts depending on the end use. So there is always that option as well. But generally... The stuff we do print for aerospace, the Enios bow, the F1 cars, they cannot be made in any other manner due to the shape of them. And um, so you've, you've talked about, obviously you've mentioned the America's Cup boat that you've worked on and you mentioned their Formula 1 stuff, but has there been anything in particular that stood out to you in terms of projects you've worked on or stuff that you've made already or, you know, is there things that you're particularly proud of? Uh, quite a lot of this stuff I can't really talk about, unfortunately. So the bit I'm probably most proud of is working for on the Enios project. Um, that's sort of been the one that I can fully talk about. There's quite a lot of press releases that Redshaw have done about them. So printing that and getting them on the boat for Ben Ainsley's been, you know, a massive achievement. Did you manage to get down and see the boat, or is it something that you've kind of done done from Bristol? Sorry for uh, Bristolshire. <laughs> we did uh, go down there for a sort of interview day the other day, but they it was sort of all under wraps because they were just about to ship it over to New Zealand. So unfortunately, didn't really see the, the full boat, just saw the hull. So it seems that Renishaw's kind of got got their, their fingers in many pies in terms of the different sectors that they're involved in. Um, 
what would you say is like a big growth area or why how do you think that 3d 3d printing will help to kind of change the world in the future do you think there's areas that are relatively unexplored when it comes to 3d printing i think it's going to be a big breakthrough in aerospace over the coming years um people are building bigger 3d printers so that you can build bigger parts um but it's also actually the certification process of getting stuff into the air is so long. So even though the technology is you know, relatively old, quite a lot of that time has been done on certification. You know, our parts are generally better than cast parts. We have far less prosity. We're working uh, to 99.95% dense uh, and the mechanical properties are great on our parts. Um, so do you think that you know, if, if you were to get on a flight tomorrow and they said, you know, you're flying on a brand new plane and it's full of these 3D printed parts. Um, do you think that someone who's flying on that plane should be worried about that? Or do you think they can kind of have some confidence in knowing that it's, it's safe to fly on? Yeah, not at all. Yeah, completely safe. Absolutely. And um, what do you think is like... Um, the key reason uh, that 3D printing has become so kind of fashionable at the moment? I think uh, it's all stemmed from the desktop printers. So that's sort of raised awareness there. But now more and more companies are delving into metals. Um, you know, there's quite a few other competitors that are in the metals. We're generally one of the smaller companies working on it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just as technology is improving, costs are reducing, productivity is improving. You know, our 500Q system uses four lasers, but our original system only used one. So we've essentially quadrupled our productivity by adding four lasers there straight away. And I was going to say, you know, are there any drawbacks to this at the moment, you know, cost-wise or anything like that? Is there anything that that you... you you have to say we need to work on that a little bit more in terms of, you know, cost or materials. Yeah, sure. I think there's always improvement to try and reduce the costs. Um, our powders are not very cheap because they have to be gas atomized uh, to reduce the oxygen content within them. Uh, the machines could probably be cheaper as well, but quite a lot of that, well, a massive amount of the machine cost is actually development time. So, we have to run, we, we design these printers over many, many years. So getting the cost back on that is huge. And um, speak a bit, a bit more about Renishaw. Um, you mentioned that you start off in the graduate scheme. What, what exactly is that graduate scheme for anyone that might be, be interested in it? There's a few different routes that you can go down. So we've got a manufacturing division. We've got um, sort of our marketing and uh, HRE sort of stuff like that. And then we've got applications engineers as well. So um, there's a few different streams that you can go down. Uh, I think there was, we took on about 40 this year potentially. So it's always, uh, there's always places available. Um, But Renishaw itself actually started off as a metrology company. So metrology is measurement. So we made... um, the first touch sugar probe back in 1983, I believe. Uh, and then we've just made our own coordinate measurement machine and we make our own encoders with gold scale and stuff like that as well. And what was your route like into it, you know, um, before you even got to the graduate scheme, you know, what did you do before that? And 
did you always want to be an engineer or you know when you think back is it when you were a kid was it something you always thought god i wish i was an applications engineer working at renishaw uh, maybe not uh, quite that specific but i was always interested in you know cars and stuff like that um i started off applying to do chemical engineering didn't quite get the grades to get into that uh you know, I think they wanted something like two A's or something like that and a B, missed that. So uh, then started on a materials engineering course at Loughborough, uh, did a placement year. And then in my final year, I think maybe six months before I finished around Christmas time, I got an offer for the graduate scheme at Renishaw. So you kind of um, took your time in that placement year to, to kind of really understand what, what the company was about and, and went back. Uh, I didn't actually do a placement year at Renishaw. Oh, sorry, yeah. A company called Satra. Um, okay. But that sort of, it wasn't really that much engineering, but I got, that's where I found my abilities to work hard, I guess, because my first two years at uni, I kind of flunked a little bit. But then after my placement year, I came back and smashed my exams and then got onto the grad scheme. So you said it wasn't necessarily what you wanted out of the placement year, but do you think it's as important to know what you don't want as what you do in, in, in yeah, the job? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I would have gone back there if I probably didn't get a, a, a grad job anywhere else just because it's somewhere, it's your foot, your foot's already in the door. They loved me. I got along with everyone there. The work wasn't too bad. Um, so you've always got to keep your options open to search. You can't close off anywhere. Um, but I knew that I did want to try something else out. So what exactly is it about Renegade that you really enjoy? And, you know, is what, what is it about your job that you really love? AM as a whole is massively interesting. So starting off doing the plastic printers and then venturing into more of the metal side over the, over the years that I've been there um, has been great. Every day is completely different. I deal with, you know, upwards of 10 customers a day. I'm project managing a few projects now as well. So it's not just running the machines and stuff like that. I've learned all of that and now I'm applying it on customer parts. And I imagine, you know, some of our listeners out there are probably avid hobbyists. Um, is this something that they can do for themselves? Is there stuff that they can do at home? Obviously, we mentioned you can get stuff off the shelf, but do you need a lot of expertise and technical knowledge to, to make your own 3D bits? Um, as long as you've got an awareness of design for AM, uh, certainly in um, metals, you can't have the overhanging surfaces, which I touched on earlier, um, or you can, but they just need to be supported, which is then sacrificial material. So this is like a bit of a dirty aside to 3D printing that not many people know about is the fact that if you do build a part that has an overhanging surface, you, you end up wasting material, uh, which then adds to your costs because you have to print that material to then get rid of it. Um, so I guess that's a bit of a dirty aside that people don't really think about or know about. But you can get a lot of these files online, can't you? A lot of people upload kind of CAD model files, don't they? And you can download yeah, yeah, them and print exactly. stuff for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, those are more aimed at the plastic side of things, I think, online. But they there's probably courses out there for... Um, additive manufacturing you know designed for additive manufacturing i'm sure youtube is your friend on a lot of these things isn't it yeah probably <laughs> um so one thing i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on is obviously you work in quite a functional environment in terms of 3d printing you make stuff for 
for F1 cars and, and big sailing yachts and whatever. But do you ever think that it might be used in, in different ways, you know, more artistic ways or stuff like that? You think there's opportunities there? Yeah, I think there's certainly opportunity for it. We've had, um, you know, sort of one-off pieces come through, um, like a purse or a watch uh, bracelet, essentially. But it's a very niche market and due to the cost of metal printing and the powders that we're using, because everyone, when they go into metal printing, goes, oh, great, titanium. Like, that's like the wonder alloy of, of 3D printing. We, we run four machines at um, our new mill site in Gloucestershire on titanium. So it's kind of the go-to. We obviously print a lot of other things um, like the nickel super alloys. Um, but I think for other uses, it could be potentially a bit niche for them. So will you be going to Mars anytime soon? Because I imagine that's, that's the next place where we'll see lots of it, right? Um, maybe who knows <laughs> if it makes it onto a spaceship, then that'd be pretty cool. Cause I guess, you know, speaking of that, it's a place like the international space station. It's not like they've got a ready, ready, ready supply of tools and bits and bobs have they, that they can just kind of draw upon cause they're a bit heavy, but do you think they'll be doing 3d printing on there anytime soon? I'd probably say that they'd be doing more plastic based stuff. Um, we have quite a lot of consumables and a significant power draw to run the lasers. So you need argon. Um, you also need somewhere to pour your waste. So we have filters in there because when you're melting metal, you produce um, condensate, which you need to capture. Otherwise your print basically goes really bad. So these need to be disposed of in a, in a manner which you can passivate the filter to not cause any explosions and stuff like that. Explosions. So there's stuff that you've worked with that's a bit dangerous. Uh, yeah, it's kind of dangerous. I mean, as long as you passivate the filter correctly, which just means pour water in it, basically, then you're okay. But, um, if you don't and you just open it up into the atmosphere, it rapidly oxidizes. So obviously I touched a bit on it at the start, but is there anything that you, you shouldn't really 3d print? Like, is there anything stopping you guys from just printing your own money effectively? But I suppose printing a pound coin is probably more expensive in the stuff you're making out of than the actual value of the, of the coin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So our titanium powder, for example, is about 360 pound a kilo. So to print anything, you, you could print whatever you wanted, but, um, you know, there would be a cost implication on that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I imagine you're probably going to be losing money if you're printing pound coins out of titanium. Um, do you think that, um, that, you know, 3D printing will make its way in more into our lives day to day in the future? Do you think there'll be 3D printed bits in our kitchens, in our living rooms and whatever? Or is it, is it something that's always going to be a bit more niche in terms of high end, high end, high end? engineering or is it is it going to trickle down uh i think it could potentially trickle down into what i don't know um we're doing a bit of research on heat sinks at the moment so i presume that that could end up in you know sort of our laptops that we're using today um but given the cost that, that everything currently takes to print i think it will be you know a sort of fair way off that um so have you thought much or have you given much thought into kind of what your own career progression is going to be or where you want to be? I like to ask my guests kind of like, where do they see themselves in 10 years time? Or what, what would you say is a good mark in your career 
um, you know, 10 years down the line? God, that's quite a tough one. I'm not really too sure <laughs> on that. Um, I'd like to become senior within senior engineer within the next couple of years. Um, and well, I currently have two direct reports already. So I, I'm kind of a manager in a way already, but maybe a manager of a few managers potentially. Um, I guess I'll just have to see how it goes really. And, and do you think that, you know, there is a bit of pressure on people to become managers and stuff like that. And, you know, I appreciate some people, that's what they want to do and, and whatever, but um, do you think it's, 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 you know, as important to, to enjoy your job and whatever, and, and not worry so much about management progression or as you think it's, is, is it worse in an engineering environment? If that makes sense. Uh, I'm a very driven sort of individual, especially career wise and hopefully for monetary gain as well. <laughs> but I think, you know, job satisfaction is huge. So um, if you don't like your job, then you're not going to enjoy your life as such. Um, but I appreciate that you need to go to work to live in a way as well. But I think it's just generally down to what you want to do. So, you know, some people don't want to progress, but others do. And then, you know, you just leapfrog over them as they don't want to push up any further. Um. So I like to do a little bit um, in, in these podcasts. Uh, I've called it Tim's Three Tips. It's a terrible name. I'm, I'm honestly considering changing it because I, I feel like it's 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 so cringy. Um, but I try to ask my guests uh, who who are the experts. Uh, let's not forget um, to give us some advice on a particular topic, an everyday topic. So I'd love to if you could tell me, you know, as you're an engineer, um, and and engineering is all about problem solving. Um, could you give me three tips on how to solve any problem, an everyday problem? Yeah, so I think a big one of this is actually writing down what the problem is. Uh, so writing it down, it's in front of you. You get to process it a lot better, I believe anyway. Um, I'd probably say number two would be if you can't get it, then you know, go away, come back at a later date. I used to find that... Um, if I was really stuck on something, go home, go to the gym, come back the next day. Generally, you look at it in a different way. And then lastly, I'd probably say, um, speak to your colleagues. So at the end of the day, it's all about working together. So ask them. Sometimes they'll have already come across the problem before. And also your colleagues may be more experienced than you. So don't feel like you need to just plow on ahead on your own you might be able to get some help on that. And speaking of kind of working with other people, do you think that it's been harder to be collaborative, you know, in the last couple of months with what's happened? I'm not going to drop the C-bomb, but, you know, obviously it's been a bit of a weird time and obviously engineering is quite a team-based approach. Um, Has it been hard for you? Uh, I was on furlough for about three months of that, but... um, given the amount of sort of nurturing that our machines need, I was back on site relatively well straight away after that. And I've been back on site full time since then. So I do see my colleagues, albeit not not the whole division, but, um, you know, the things like Teams, Zoom, stuff like that, we can use to try and get some of that um, working with others back in our lives as such. Um, but I've been quite lucky in the fact that we are able to be COVID secure and be on site at the same time. And do you think that that aspect is important? Do you think it's important to be 
kind of face to face with people as best you can um you know just more for your own personal well-being as much as as for working together in that aspect of it yeah definitely i think it, well if you if you're working at home just on your own all the time even on teams i don't think that's enough to satisfy your inner well-being as such i definitely think you need some human contact and talking to others even if it's not about work you know you're working away on your computer and then you can have you know sort of side conversations with with your colleagues or your friends I certainly miss going to the pub if there's one thing that I wish would would come back sooner was going to the pub with your colleagues but you know there's hope we have we have hope now so um yeah I, I'm excited for 2021 if you is there anything that you can you can tell our listeners about 2021 um from Renishaw's side or is it all super super top secret uh yeah it's kind of top top secret <laughs> He's actually a spy. Um, yeah. He's, he doesn't work for Ernest He's actually a spy. So yeah. we'll, we'll put that one to bed. <laughs> yeah, there might there might be a few things coming out. We'll have to see. Exciting, um, Matt. It's been it's been fantastic to speak to you uh, today. Um, if if our listeners are interested in finding out more about Renishaw, where can they find out, or even find out more about Matt Williams? He's an interesting guy as well. Where can they find out about the, about him as well? I'm on LinkedIn, so if you search Matthew Williams, you should find me pretty easily on there. Um, I think my yeah my title's up to date and everything. Maybe just need to change my photo. Uh, <laughs> about it. <laughs> yes, well, I, I'm getting the full experience right now. For our listeners that don't have a video, I'm, I'm getting Matt Williams in the flesh, so it's a, it's definitely an experience. Um, what about if they wanted to find out more about engineering? Um, you know, where's a good place to start, and what what advice would you give to someone who is potentially considering going to university to do an engineering degree? What what kind of stuff would you say is is good things, good good kind of things to to, to think about before they go, and 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 what stuff really helped you when you were at uni? Sorry, I was asking you a load of questions there. That's okay. Um, <laughs> So the first one about getting into engineering, I don't think it's necessarily about doing a degree straight off. Um, Renishaw's got an amazing apprenticeship. Um, you know, people get put through university, the HND, HNC, everything like that. So that's one route into it. And you get the added bonus of no student debt at the end of it. Um, yeah, you get a little tie-in period at the end of your degree, but generally you've made money and some more especially with the amount we're we're both paying back on our student loans at the moment um sorry what was the other one i was just saying you know if you've got any tips for or advice for people that are, are going to go to university um for about their you know what what what's the best use of their time when they're at uni for doing an engineering degree uh make sure that you're using your time wisely and like i did in my first year <laughs> and make sure you've got some sort of routine down for revising and reading and stuff like that yeah i mean i disagree it's all about partying and having fun so maybe a happy medium in the middle where, where you're doing some studying but you're also enjoying yourself but, um yeah. matt it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um stay safe i hope you have a really successful 2021 and i'll definitely be looking out for renishaw and all these super duper top secret things you've got coming out when they get released in the future yeah sounds good cheers Once again, I want to say a massive thank you to Matt for coming on the show and giving us a really good insight into what Renishaw do. I had no idea they were working on stuff for Formula One and for the America's Cup. It's amazing to think what kind of stuff is now turning into getting 3D printed. You never know, your next bit of kit might be made out of 3D printed parts. 
as always, if you like the show, please, please, please consider subscribing. It's the best way of keeping up to date with all of our episodes. It'll really help us in the rankings as it'll allow more people to hear about us and share these amazing stories. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by following us on social media at JobHunterPod on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, where you can also find our JobHunter podcast support group. This is where I'll be dropping most of the links about where you can find out more information about Renishaw and about 3D printing. You can also drop us an email. It's JobHunterPodcast at gmail.com if you fancy having a natter and coming on the show. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Tim French and I'll catch you next time on the JobHunter podcast. Hunter podcast.